Hello. 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 <laughs> All right. Welcome to another episode of Super Testing Bros. I'm yeah. James. I'm Dan. Uh, and we are starting with an apology today. Yeah. Um, so we've. We've got some really awesome guests lined up for our security podcast. Unfortunately, we're just having some difficulties arranging them and us to all be at the same place at the same time in order to do a recording. So we will be bringing that to you, just not today. Yeah, we've put it on ice because we know how much uh, you all love listening to our voices, so we wanted to get something else out. Yeah. Uh, so here we are. Yeah, and for our guest today and for our topic, we're going to be discussing metrics metrics and testing by popular demand we put a little poll up on our facebook group and this is what's most popular so uh, please visit that and upvote what kind of subjects and topics you'd like us to hear about but talking about metrics we have our colleague here linda hi i'd just like to introduce yourself tell us a bit about yourself and, and your your career so far and your interests and such yeah so uh, i'm linda i'm a qad and uh, I got into testing um, straight out of, basically I did a, a six month uh, Java development course. Uh, went, got straight into a QA job at a company that did multiplayer poker software and online gaming software. So that was really cool. Uh, I was there for a few years and then I moved into development at the same company, was working on uh, C++ services and about five years ago, I moved across to New Zealand uh, with my partner and uh, worked as a developer for a few years and then moved back into QA at Zero. So, worked for, at Zero as a practice lead for a few years and yeah, so now I'm a, a QA lead. My interests, I'm really into gaming, I love reading about all sorts of things and uh, mountain biking. Cool. Cool. And you've, I know, Linda, that you've worn a few hats over the years. You've obviously mm -hmm. done development for a bit. I know you tried the product analyst role for a bit as well. I did, how does, yes. How does you know, having all that other experience feed into you, uh, your testing career? Hmm, that's a good question. I really like how, as a developer and as a QA, I've seen both sides and I've worn both hats. Mm -hmm. And I think that's given me a lot of insight into the developer's world, but I can also sympathize with the QA world and the the challenges that we have as QAs. So, um, and then as a product analyst, it was a really interesting couple of months because it really gave me a lot of insight into how noisy it can be to be a product <laughs> analyst. You just get so many requests to do so many things and you get a ton of questions and requests from uh, support from their customers. You get uh, random salespeople coming to you pitching ideas <laughs> and um, I had a really awesome mentor at Zero. shout out to Carlos because he basically taught me how to say no mm. <laughs> so that was a really cool experience yeah cool yeah something we probably need to do as testers sometimes as well I think yeah definitely yeah yeah cool so moving on yeah before we get too deep into things yeah, we wanted to try a new, a new section we think will uh, be popular and talk about sort of some current events and some news. Yeah, so we've just we've scoured the internet for some things that are going on in the testing world at the moment uh, or just things we found interesting that we could talk about. The first one I've found, I, it's, I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. Yep. 
but Android has overtaken Windows as the internet's oh, most yeah. used operating system. Yep. And wow. what surprises me, it just hasn't, I thought it had happened years ago. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, to be honest. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that much. Everyone is on a mobile device now, and most of those seem to be Android, at least in my world. Does it, as a tester, what does that mean for us? I think it heightens the importance of device testing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're working on a website and making pages mobile friendly, yeah, there are a lot of sites I go to and uh, on my phone. So I can't believe this isn't mobile friendly. Yeah, yep. Big big name companies and are sort of among some of the worst culprits of not considering the mobile space. Yeah, I think it's a consideration that that always needs to be taken in now. Even you know, for whether you're building websites, web apps, uh, that someone's going to view it on a mobile device. Uh, and, and sometimes a really low-end mobile device as well. The other thing with uh, mobile devices is that they're on often on poor-performing networks. Um, so that's something else that needs to be taken into account for for testing something like that. Is that you know how is this going to work when I'm on 3G on the train, just yeah. come out of a tunnel? Yeah. Where does the Mac operating system fall? I, I I thought it was considerably lower when I looked. Actually, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's 37.93% Android. 37.91% Windows, and then Mac is, um, OS X is hovering mm. around 8%-ish, and iOS is probably around 12%. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It would be really Android. interesting to see those percentages based per continent or country. Yeah. Because you'll yeah. probably find the reason Android OS is so popular is a lot of the poorer countries, the developing world, Everyone has a phone now. Mm. Um, a lot of those will be brick phones, but a lot will probably be the lower-end Android yep. smartphones because it's the cheapest way for a person to get access to some sort of smart device. Yeah. They can't afford computers. They can't afford fancy iPhones, but they can afford a cheap Samsung. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, next item of news I've got here. <laughs> this is a funny one. Uh, Amazon's cashier-free stores, apparently they break if there's 20 people in them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. And, and it really begs the question, if you were a tester at Amazon, this is the feature you're working on, it's the new Amazon store, how are you going to test something like that? Yeah, it's a whole new uh, angle of testing, a whole new domain. Yep. I can't wait to get into that, frankly. I hope wow. if Amazon are hiring, I want to test shoplifting. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got whole new facets of security testing, yeah, uh, load testing, performance testing, number number so, of people physically in the store, number of items they're physically buying. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I can't even. I don't know how it works. How do you? If you're buying a bag of apples, what what happens? I, I don't know. There's no barcodes on them. You I well, guess you scan, yeah, like the cell serves in the supermarket. You put it on the scales and you you. You find what apples it is. and yeah but do you have to check out when you when you leave i don't know no well this is the whole thing you just you just leave out right. and it, it knows what you've got oh it's not even yeah. right yeah maybe, maybe they, they don't, sell, don't apples. sell apples <laughs> they don't <laughs> sell vegetables and fruit yeah they probably will have it uh, packaged in a bag yeah they'll have the the, 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 the fruit yeah, pre-packs and then yeah. you'll just have I hate to buy fruit pre-packs you always get it <laughs> It always looks nice on the outside, but when you get it home, the bottoms are always rotten. Yeah. And the ones underneath are always mouldy. Oh, yeah, great front end. Yeah. But, yeah. 
And final piece of news, Test Bash Manchester. Yay. It's, it's a long way off, but we're going. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've even submitted to talk there. Whether we get through the screening process is, is debatable. <laughs> but uh, we'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't been to a Test Bash event yet. I can really highly recommend it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out there. And we'll be doing a, a special pod on that. Yep. So come along if you're there, talk to us and pod with us. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that's it for the news. And on to our main topic for the day. Yeah. So what are we talking about? Metrics. It's, I put this one on, on the list because it's something that's particularly pertinent to my world at the moment. But it's a painful, difficult subject. I've spoken to a number of people in the community about it and everyone, nobody really has an answer. No, it's a real interesting one. The question for me always is, okay, you want metrics on software testing. Why do you want that metric? What are you trying to prove with a number? Yeah. Mm. What are you measuring and who are you informing? Yeah. Mm. Sort of two key elements of, of what you want to... Yeah. Think about when you're deciding on a metric. And I kind of think that you need to figure out what is the goal and then work backwards from that. Mm. So in the old days, about 10 years ago when I started working, uh, the goal of the QA metrics was to basically cover your ass mm -hmm. as a QA. Yep. And uh, the, Q the, the, the QA manager was there to prove how uh, the to testing department, I'm using air quotes right now, uh, the testing department uh, brings value to the company and they're finding all the bugs and there's there's no software problems and obviously that's a horrendous mistake to make. And, and nowadays I think it's more around uh, using metrics to, Im to improve your, your processes as a sort of a feedback loop. I think that's certainly true in companies with good quality cultures. I think yeah. there's still a fight in a large parts of the industry where we're trying to prove our value and we're trying to find metrics that prove our value. And I don't know if we'll ever find those metrics. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some real dangerous things that, that people ask for as far as metrics go. You know, have you completed 100% of the test cases? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, are you, you're a tester, your job is to find five bugs a week. Have you done that? It adds no value and leads to people doing yeah, silly things yeah. like just, just making stuff up to, yeah. to meet the metrics. And massaging metrics, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it comes down to who the audience of the metric is. Mm -hmm. I'm quite against metrics that go and sit in front of a board. And it's not a... It's not from a, a them versus us point of view. They're, we can trust that in most cases the board and execs are trying to do their best for the company and for the business, and uh, just like we are. But it's a matter of context. These are people who are decision makers. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make informed decisions. But metrics can be misleading and without context can give a, a wrong image. And based on that wrong image, they can make the right decision based on that image but it turns out to be the wrong decision yeah. because it doesn't have context. Yeah, yeah context is like super, super important. Um, just because your results can be so skewed if you don't take the, the context into account. Uh, for instance, if you're tracking how many 
bugs the QAs have found or how many bugs have been um, have gone live into production. Is that because quality is decreasing or is it because uh, your company has doubled in size and now we're putting out twice as many features? Uh, or it could be because you've just acquired new software from another company that's buggy as, mm -hmm. as heck and you need to sort those issues out before your... your and that could result in um, the, the results looking like your quality is going down, but it's actually just uh, all this extra work that you're doing as yep. a team. Yep. Yeah, there's so many different things that could affect quality. It's it's not a black and white situation, so you can't represent it in black and white numbers. That said, let's let's try and answer some questions and and think of some positive metrics. Yeah. What metrics have value? Uh, yep. Do you come across anything that? Yep. So a uh, previous company I was at, uh, the QA leads did something really great. I I think they tracked where in the life cycle the bugs were found. So basically, they wouldn't track exactly what the bugs were, but they would track, okay, the bug, five bugs for this uh, particular feature were found uh, in the design phase, two were found while the developer was working on the feature, uh, one bug was found in uh, the test environment, and maybe one, one bug went to production. And then they would analyze uh, the bugs that were found later in the stage and figure out how can we find those bugs earlier in the process. Mm. So the later that bugs are found, the more expensive they are to fix. Yep. And that just helped them to really refocus their efforts not on, not on reducing the number of bugs, but to just find them earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So at our company, we, we always uh, write up when an issue's gone to production and I really, I would really like to track how many of those issues could have been avoided if we did some sort of quality improvement. And I also like to track the number of issues where a customer was actually affected. Because I think if you track the total number of issues, those could be, some of those could be out of your control. They might have happened despite of all the efforts we could have made. Or it could be an issue that went to production, but we caught it and fixed it before any customers were affected. Yeah, Im impact is really, what's what's the cool word they use for impact now? Blast radius. Blast radius, yeah. nice one, yeah. 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 yeah, if you, you know, you could have, if you're counting things that go to production, that's one thing, but if something goes to production and it doesn't affect anyone versus, you know, it takes your platform down for yeah. everyone, those, yeah. those are two very different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a, a particular metric. It's really important that you have the audience and the in audience, mind, yeah. the audience in mind, and the audience are aware of the context. Yeah, it's great to keep that within those kind of numbers within the team. Yeah, yeah. they but they are numbers that if you put them in front of a board can be dangerous. Right. So, while I was over in Castex uh, in Sydney, um, I was chatting with a guy there called Paul Holland, and he gave me a scenario where he'd use a metric with a team and it was solely based for the team by the team for the value of the team um, and he said he got a bunch of jars and a big pile of paper clips and he labeled the jars so one jar might be testing one jar might be time in meetings one jar might be fighting fires one jar might be support and during the week the team would anonymously put into each of the jars one paperclip equals one hour of effort spent 
and the team could see as as a group anonymously where the effort of the team is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I spending fifty percent of my week in meetings? Am I spending fifty percent of my week in Fire, firefighting? Yep. And then you can have a retrospective and say, okay, so I think if I, if I do this, I might spend less time firefighting. You can try it, and then you can you can see it visually. Yeah. It's not a metric that's recorded in a system, so it's less scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more people-friendly because it's anonymous, and it is solely used for the team. And I have to say, at first, I was a bit meh about the idea, but the more I've thought about it, the more value I can see in it, provided it is only used for the team by the team. Yeah. Um, I don't like the idea of time tracking or... Nobody likes time tracking and having to log their effort for the, the day. The guy that builds the time yeah. tracking system loves time tracking. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> we had a time tracking system in a previous company and the effort of maintaining it was always given to the newbie who passed mm. it on as often as quickly as possible. Um, and no, so the, the time track builder didn't like the time track yeah. at all. Do we want to talk about um, tracking skills in the QA? Yeah, group? I think that's a great. So... Basically, I think this is an idea that you raised, Dan, that you could track the number of people in each skill vertical uh, across the, the your team or guild, and then that helps you to see where the gaps in your guild are, skill-wise, and you can see where the strengths in your team are, and then you can also track over time and see how people are improving. Yeah, so this, I forget the name of the guy who talked about it. If I find out, I'll put it on the, the site or on the Facebooks. Um, but it works on the idea that each person self-assesses themselves in how competent they feel in an area and also how competent they want to be in an area. So you might say, take security, I feel I'm probably a one out of five competence in security, um, but maybe I want to progress to a three out of five skill. So when yeah. it comes to planning which team members are in which teams, Someone can look at me and say, okay, they're not strong at security, but they want to get stronger. Let's put him in a team for three months with John, who's a level five. He, he considers himself a level five security. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes down to the audience of who the metric is for. We don't want, it's not a metric you want to be judged on for your, your salary reviews, maybe. Yeah. But it is good for finding good dynamics of teams and fitting the right people together to help people upskill and maybe look at who we want to recruit next. Yeah, so at a high level you could say, okay, we've got a massive gap in performance testing. Let's, you know, exactly. upskill or find someone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is that a metric you could take to higher ups as well? So this is the kind of team we've got? I would say anonymously, yeah. yeah. You could. You could yeah. say we've got a team that's very, very good at, these areas, mm-hmm. this gives us these benefits, but I feel like I need to do a recruitment push in this area. You could certainly use it for hiring yeah. to figure out who you need to hire, what yep. skills you need to look for. Yeah, I feel with stats and metrics, you really have to be careful of working with your stats to make sure you aren't manipulating them or you're not biasing yourself as you're collecting those metrics. Yeah, it can be really tempting to, to lie about numbers to... Well, not even lie, just make numbers fit for what you what want. you want to yeah. display. Yep. Yep. Have you um, got any ideas, James, on metrics? And I, it's, a, it's a hard topic for me to talk about because I'm quite opposed to metrics 
In general. In general. Um, because I don't like doing them. I don't think there's ever a metric where you can say this is the this is the uh, amount or percentage of quality we've built in. Let's ship or not ship. I don't think there's a metric. That no, can, definitely not. You know, it's like trying to say say you're a Hollywood producer and you want to know before you release this movie that it's going to be a success. So you, what's the metric for that? There's things you can do like put a famous actor in there or run something. Um, but you can't put a number on a movie before it goes out to determine whether it's going to be a success or not. Yeah, you can do test screening and stuff, but by then you've already made the movie. Yep. You've already got the expenditure. Yep. Yep. There's some metrics that are black and white. Are my unit tests 100% passing? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't tell you how valuable the unit tests are. Yeah. You could have totally. one unit test that's bad and doesn't catch any bugs, and it passes 100% and you get a green light. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or you could have 100 thousand unit tests and you run at 70 percent yeah yeah what what do you folks feel about tracking number of issues found in production or tracking that per engineer or per feature so yeah issues <laughs> you don't like that at all i don't like it but well you know what i don't like being beholden to it is, is, right. is, the, is the true right. answer yeah 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 um whether it may or not may not be necessary yeah. yeah. What, what I quite like is uh, not maybe bugs found in production, but I like um, seeing the uh, number of bugs per feature or per uh, epic, Jira epic, mm-hmm. just because it kind of indicates where, blo- where bugs are clustering. And that can give you an indication of the complexity of the feature or how risky that feature is. Mm-hmm. And it could be a, a kind of a code smell that there's some technical debt that you need to sort out with a particular feature. Yep. yep. Or maybe you need to add more automated tests around it. So uh, that's one f- uh, one that I like, but you have to be cautious because it could look bad on the team that's working on the feature if there's a lot of bugs around it. Yeah. But it could con- just be that it's a really complex feature. So Yeah, there's the context of the feature. How big is the feature? How complex is it how much does it integrate with other other systems yeah um if you get a bug that's to do with integration is it to do with this feature or the new the old feature or the new feature where do you decide where this bug falls so there's again it all comes down to who is going to view what decisions are going to be made on the back of this these metrics because that's what metrics are used for at the end of the day is making helping to make informed decisions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's why people want metrics and you have to know the context around them yeah if you feel that the people viewing them likely to view the metrics might make decisions without understanding and investigating context then it i would uh, towards trying not to give them a metric but if you're giving them to people that you have the confidence that they're going to ask questions they're going to have conversations they're going to understand the story behind the metrics and then there's there's definite value in them yeah there's quite an interesting challenge that i have at the moment that i need to think as we're growing bigger we need to somehow determine how that how we as a QA guild are being successful. So it, success could mean, are we being productive? Are we happy? Are we upskilling? But it could also be, how many issues are we finding? What is the quality like of the software that we're releasing? And it's just really hard to kind of figure that out. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, without tracking bugs, I, I, I would look at it at a higher level myself. Yeah, um, uh, your testers are part of a wider team. Everyone's responsible for building a, a successful product, whatever, however you measure the success of that product. Um, if that's successful, then your team is contributing towards that. Yeah. It's probably not a, a, a great answer, but. Mm. I, yeah. I guess the, the, the final decision is, well, the final the final indication mm. is how happy is the customer, right? That, yeah. It, it makes me think of Pokemon Go. <laughs> I'll explain that. <laughs> so when Pokemon Go came out, it was riddled with bugs, but it was still a massive, massive success. And, and so what am I trying to say here? How do you measure? We, do, we don't know what the testers did on that project. They may have raised a ton of things. Um, that were wrong and the company decided to release anyway. Um, I would hope that they were all in, involved in that decision. It's quite an interesting example because it was wildly popular when it came out and it very quickly died down mm. and now there's a small cluster of people that are still really keen on Pokemon Go yep. but it's certainly not the huge customer base that they had right at the start. So. You could say it was a successful from the point of view of raising visibility on Nintendo and Pokemon, mm. but from the terms of actually keeping those customers, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Possibly yeah. not as successful. Yeah, I guess my point is though that that you know that the count of bugs in production, right, found it was buggy, is not necessarily indicative of whether it was successful or not. Yeah, yeah. true, true. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with any business being from a pragmatic point of view, the measure of success is the bank balance, right? It's the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's easy to see from there whether the company as a whole is successful. What becomes more difficult is determining from that the effectiveness of the teams within the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be that the sales team are particularly brilliant and they're selling they're doing a fantastic job selling a crap product or maybe the product is selling itself and, and the sales team aren't really doing a lot they could be doing a lot better discerning that effort and that success within a company is where these kind of metrics come in yeah so i just i just looked up the nintendo pokemon go profits uh, for second, Nintendo reported second quarter earnings for 2016 and said the company made 12 billion yen, that's $115 million, from licensing fees through from the game. And Pokemon Go has made an estimated $600 million in revenue for its developer Niantic Labs in the three months since it's launched. Huge success. Yeah, okay. Massive, massive success. Plus, it had a halo effect in that it dro drove up sales of Nintendo's hardware sales. Oh, there you go. Metrics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. it, had, it had a significant effect on the Nintendo share price. And then when it was discovered that they didn't completely own Niantic, it had the negative effect. Hmm. But I don't know whether the net change overall was positive it for was Nintendo. Still up. It was yeah. still up big time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nintendo's stock price basically did this. It dropped a little bit, but it was still pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. Coming back to... So I think what we're trying to ascertain is... A, uh, we talked about sort of success in general and ascertaining a measure of knowing that the testing team is contributing to that success. 
to, to my mind, it's, it's very hard to put a number on, but you can ascertain from who they're working with whether they're contributing or not. You know, you'll know from, or I can't speak from experience here, but I would hope that you would know from the, the developers or other team members around a tester whether they're having a, a positive effect or not or whether the, you know, the oh, totally. developers are saying, yeah, totally. um, actually, I'm doing all the work and the tester's not really helping out. I don't know, is that, does that happen? Oh, a big effect or a big influencer of the effect of a tester is the team that's around them. Yep. Are they welcoming towards the tester? Do they include the tester? How well do they work with the tester? If you've got a, a bunch of devs who are a bit prickly and don't like working with testers, then it's, it's going to impact the tester's performance and their confidence to raise issues and talk through issues properly. Mm. And then they might presume that the developer's going to turn around and say, oh, I'm not going to fix that and, and not raise issues. It can, it can cause poor working relationships and poor working culture. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that the culture of the office can have an impact on the quality of testing. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I, I love the good old days when you used to track the number of bugs that the uh, QA found. Yeah. The good old waterfall days when, you know, bugs found protester. And we actually, at an old company I used to work at, we actually used to track that and then we'd give an award to the, the tester that found the most bugs. Really? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. did something similar at a previous company where in the regression phase you got a dollar a bug. Oh, gosh. We were going home minted. Really? Um, yeah. We found... because. If you found something, you didn't record it as one bug. You recorded it as three bugs. Oh, yeah. Right, yep. It, you you broke it down into the smallest yep. component so that you could get you could get more bugs. You could get your name higher on the list. Yep. I was working in another team. I was supposed to be focused on that other team. But I put in a couple of hours each day into working on the regression, and I was up there on the top of the charts. Nice. Um, Nothing like money to motivate you to find bugs. But that's... Um, it's easy to to massage the numbers. Um, yeah, it is. It's, yes, it's, 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 it's real. Is. It's real hard. I'm finding talking yeah, about this bad metrics. Yeah, <laughs> it's real easy to talk about bad metrics. It's real yeah. hard to find good stuff. This is what not to do, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, we kind of. <laughs> I feel as if we've made a really unhelpful podcast a little bit, but we do need to think about wrapping it up. Mm. We have come up with a couple of good ideas in there. I think that people can hopefully use. Um, without bashing too much on negative metrics, it's, that's easy to do. But if you you guys know of any metrics that are useful for you, get in touch. Let us know. We'll we'll talk about it again. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Metrics are hard. Very yeah. hard. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. And we apologise to anyone who's listened to this, thinking that we're going to give you the great answer to the <laughs> holy grail of metrics. I'm afraid there is no holy grail. I think is the general consensus. Yep. All right. Uh, thanks for listening in. As always, you can catch us on the Tweet Machine or the Bookface. Yeah. Uh, we are Super Testing Bros, or on Twitter, I believe it is Super Testing Bro because there's a character limit and it makes us yeah. sad. Yeah, very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, email us at supertestingbros at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, join the Facebook group. We'll often have little polls on there to try and determine what we're going to talk about next. Um, give us some feedback. Get in touch. Let us know of any interesting news you want you, you want to share. 
And thank you for listening. Yeah, and thanks, Linda, for joining us. My yeah. pleasure. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.